It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. So, Teresa, what was your bright spot for the week? Last week? Last um, week. Well, loved going to see Storm Large. It was, was nice to have so a concert fun. again. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was just fun. crazy. Yeah. yeah, amazing. But I have to say, even better than that was getting to babysit my nephews, oh. which I know I've I have done a little bit. Yeah. Post boosters, but yeah, just nice getting to, to see the the boys again. Oh, sweet. Now, as we say in our tagline for our podcast, two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. I say it. boring, but yeah. yeah. Ordinary. <laughs> ordinary. I recently found it at local Target. I was shopping with Ellie, and we saw a team of Make-A-Wish Foundation oh, folks yeah, there, yeah. which is that nonprofit founded here in the U.S. that fulfills wishes of children, critical illnesses, ages like two and a half to 18. But anyways, we were going down the aisle, and I saw this woman being filmed, and the vi- videographer... <laughs> was asking her to speak about a boy named Henry and asked her about his story and the ripple effect. And that's all I heard. And I was really curious. So I went home and looked uh, looked it up. And it turns out this young man in 2018, Henry Hernandez, he was 16 years old, was diagnosed with a germ cell tumor. And he was trying to really stay strong for his family, even though he felt scared and anxious Mm -hmm. because he didn't know what his prognosis was going to be. And a nurse gave him a teddy bear, which Henry held on during his treatments, and it just really meant a lot to him. So this sweet act of kindness from the nurse had such a huge impact on Henry, so much so that a year later... Uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation reached out to him and wanted to grant him a wish. He immediately knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to give stuffed animals to the children at OHSU Dorn Becker, who might be feeling scared and anxious like How he sweet is that? Was. I mean, they I, can ask for a trip to Disneyland. They no, can ask for a PlayStation. They can, yeah. And I love that he said in this article that his treatment was successful and all he needs is his health and his family. Hmm. The Make-A-Wish team, Henry and his family, hit the Clackamas Town Center, stopping at the Disney store, Henry brought the gifts to Dornbacker where he personally handed them out to the children. Henry's generosity caught the eye of Governor Kate Brown. She said that Henry's uh, generous spirit truly moves me. So now three years later, he's been doing this. But uh, Henry started a statewide toy drive, which is so awesome. He teamed up with his employer, Starbucks, which he works there as a barista. Oh, okay. And the toy donations were gathered at all the Oregon Starbucks locations. And Henry even saved up $200 of his own money and bought toys. So, you know, I guess that's why... So what, he's 19, 16, 17? He's 18 18 now. now. And so that's why um, Make-A-Wish was at our local Mm -hmm. Target picking up toys for for Henry's toy drive. And I just... I love reading that uh, Henry said that I have a feeling in my heart that this is just the beginning of something greater. So I just admire this young man's heart and his spirit to pay it forward and spread love and joy. And a local kid, too. A local kid. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Way to go, Henry. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. I know I talk. We've talked on the runs how much I love the Today Show and have it on in the mornings. (laughs) I have it kind of on the background, so I'm kind of in and out. But a few weeks back, I saw the tail end of Mitch Albom's interview. And um, like I said, I was kind of in and out. But he was talking about his new book, The Stranger in a Lifeboat, a novel. Which I've seen at Costco. Okay, so, yeah, you've yeah, seen yeah. it. Okay. 
Yeah, I guess it's about a group of strip ship shipwrecked <laughs> passengers who pull a strange man from the sea who claims to be the Lord. Which sounds fascinating and probably a really awesome read. Uh, later, Mitch was talking about someone close to him dying, and he was amazed by their willingness to have visitors, and said that this person felt alive by their interactions with others, and that giving is living. I missed the rest of the segment because I had to take L.A. to school, and I totally was left hanging because that phrase, giving is living, just kind of kind of hit yeah, me, you yeah. know? I can see why. And that's when I decided I wanted to research Mitch album for this for our podcast i'm so excited you did because i i you know i've always been curious about him yeah so, so this will be fun it'll be fun to find out so he was born may 23rd 1958 in uh Pe- new jersey mm-hmm. yeah, i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing it and then later settled in, settled in oakland new jersey he grew up middle class jewish family had an older sister and younger brother Shortly out of college, he developed an interest in journalism, and now he's this internationally renowned, best-selling author, journalist, screenwriter, playwright, radio, and television broadcaster. So that's pretty darn impressive. He's been married to his wife 26 years, Janine. Same That's as long as Ryan and I have been married, so I thought that's kind of cool. Wow, yeah, 26 years. Um, but he's probably best known for his book, Tuesday with Maury. Mm-hmm. Which I read when it first came out. I received it at uh, Twelfth Night Celebration. We used to do after Christmas with Ryan's family. The family gets together on the Twelfth Night after Christmas and celebrates the three kings, bring gifts to baby Jesus. <laughs> it's really cute. It's because the family got so big, they decided to do a book exchange instead of, in, instead of buying gifts for each I other. Think this is brilliant. I, I want to do this. I love How this. Can we do this? I'm so sad that we stopped doing it, but it was such a fun evening. We just start with a nice dinner, and then everyone would take a shoe off. <laughs> and they put it in this laundry basket, and then either family members volunteered. It was usually the younger kids, or the older people got coerced, and they had they had these wise men costumes. Oh, that's hilarious! And so we'd all sing "We Three Kings of Orinar," <laughs> and the wise men would match your shoe with your book. <laughs> and it, I just loved every year getting a new book. Yeah, you know, it's a great way to end the holidays and start the new year. You know, I think I could totally do that without dressing up as a I wise know. man. <laughs> I know. I just I miss it. We just got people got decided not to do no, it anymore. I think that's but. a great idea. But anyways, I remember reading it the book and thinking it was a great and heartwarming. Um, but now 20 some years later, I reread uh, Tuesdays with Maury again. And I told Ryan, I chugged it. And I know most people say you devour a book, but I chugged it. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, because I almost felt like, I mean, my heart felt like it was going to explode. I almost felt like I was going to, it was so emotional. I don't know. I felt like it was going to, even though you read it before, even though I read it before, yeah. I probably didn't, I mean, mm-hmm. 20 years later, mm-hmm. maybe I'm just Kind of, I don't Someone know. Someone gave it to me when it first came out. And, you know, it's a quick read. It's it a is a quick book, read, but sure. It's been a long time. It reminds me a lot. Have you read the last lecture? No. Okay, that's another Okay, I'll have to look that. to read, because that's short, too, but same. Same kind of premise. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's definitely a you know heart-penetrating book. Seriously, you know, um, but it's about Mitch as a student and his college professor, Morris Schwartz, or Maury. Um, and really, their last lesson together, it's really a big last, last lesson on life. Uh, Mitch attended uh, Brandeis University. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Brandeis University uh, for his undergraduate degree in um, Waltham, Massachusetts, where he took every course um, from Maury Schwartz that he taught. Um, they became good friends, and Maury had a unique teaching style. He really wanted to get to his students, get them to feel, and maybe even cry not out of malice, but just to have a positive impact mm-hmm. um, on them in some way. And boy, did he have a zest for life. He loved people. He loved to dance and went uh, most Wednesday nights to a church 
for this dance called <laughs> Dance Free, where it was flashing lights, rock music oh, booming from the speakers. Another and, thing we need to and do. And it was that most, like fun. It was mostly students. Mm-hmm. But that didn't stop Maury, who would show up in a white tee, which black sweats, and a towel around his head, which I think is so interesting. Yeah, but So he's not your typical professor. No. So on graduation day... Mitch introduced Maury to his parents and gave him a briefcase. That's how much he meant to him with with his initials engraved. And Mitch promised to keep in touch with his professor. Sadly, that didn't happen. And Mitch moved to New York, pursued journalism. 16 years later, while just kind of channel surfing, Mitch came across a segment on Nightline with Ted Koppel interviewing his dear college professor, Maury. Maury was dying of ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, which is a... Horrible, debilitating, neo-degenerative uh, disease that results in the progressive loss of motor neuron, neurons whoops, that control voluntary um, muscles. Basically, you know, it's a death sentence. Yeah. Um, what's not surprising, Maury cut the eye of Ted Koppel because of his unique and optimistic outlook on life. M- Mitch felt ashamed that he didn't keep his promise, so he phoned Maury and arranged to visit him. Since college, uh, Mitch had been living the fast lane, riding for five different media groups, traveling back and forth between the UK and his home in Detroit, uh, Michigan. Trying to make a name for himself. Yeah, making a name for himself. You know, as he said, he drove fast, worked endless hours, um, was afraid to stop, kind of out of fear that it might just all go away. I get it. You know, um, so at 37, Mitch visited Maury at his home in Newton, Massachusetts, Massachusetts, and Tuesdays with Maury began. I love how Maury said they were Tuesday kind of people. I think he taught a lot of his courses or lectures were on Tuesdays, but I thought that was just mm-hmm. kind of fun. But Mitch uh, visited Maury the next 14 Tuesdays. Uh, it was so endearing to read that Mitch would show up with all this food that he thought Maury would love and enjoy, but uh, he was unable to eat because of the disease. Mm-hmm. Everything had to be uh, pureed. Over the next several weeks, they discussed such topics as family, emotions, fear of aging, money, marriage, culture, forgiveness, the perfect day, uh, and goodbye. Maury talked about allowing himself to feel for himself, feel sorry for himself in the mornings, allowing himself to mourn. You know, he, he'd feel around his body to see what he could still move and then what movement he lost. Uh, Which makes sense if he was, you know, he wanted to get his students to have Right, feeling. He, feeling. he, he, he also would want do that to. himself, yeah. He said he'd have a good cry, and then he'd concentrate on all the good things still in his life, yeah. which I love that. Throughout this book, he, I think that's healthy. It's super healthy. You need to get that out. Get that yeah. out. And, you know, he talks about just really fully feeling the emotion, wherever it is, diving into it, then detaching from it, letting go, and just enjoying your day. Mm-hmm. Really intrigued by his discussion on death. Uh, he said, once you learn to die, you learn to live. He admitted that prior to being sick, he didn't think about death. Like most people, he was really optimistic. Mm-hmm. After he learned about his prognosis, everything changed. He pointed out to Mitch that once you realize you can die at any time, you might not be as ambitious. I think it was hard for Mitch to hear. Murray, Maury went on to say, the more time you spend, so much time on all this work you do, it might not seem as important. You mm-hmm. might have to make room for some spiritual things. And he kind of pointed out to his window. I mean, because he can't go outside and run around and feel the sunshine like Mitch could. Yet he appreciated that window even more than Mitch because he noticed the subtle changes in the trees, how strong that wind would be blowing that day. 
Um, yeah. He just really paid attention. His uh, senses his were senses heightened. His senses were heightened because yeah. of, yeah. And then he talked about aging not is just decay, but, you know, it's growth. And I love that. It's growth. You know, as we grow, I mean, you kind of we moved on from that time. Right. Um, and it's more than the negative that you're going to die and that you live a better life because of because of it, because of all that you've experienced. And all you've learned. Yeah. You learn from those learn experiences. From those. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, exactly. it's just, and I absolutely love what he said about giving to other people is what makes him feel alive, not his car or his house or what he looked like in the mirror. Uh, when he gives his time, when he can make someone smile after feeling sad, it's as close to healthy as he's ever felt. I love that. I do too. Love, love, love that. Um, and it was just heartwarming to read that um, how Mitch began to take over some of the care for Maury, like helping and patting his back when he'd cough, he'd get con- mm-hmm. a lot of congestion, mm-hmm. a massage his feet because he, you know, he wouldn't have feeling in his feet, wipe, even wiping his nose. And I could relate. Mitch wrote that he would be normally grossed out, but mm-hmm. he wasn't. I remember my dad was in the hospital and looking at all the tubes and seeing gross stuff pumping through mm-hmm. there and thinking, wow, there'd be a time I would have just ran out of the room but there would be no place I'd rather be at the moment was with him spending time spending time with him so what amazed me to read was that at the end of Maury's life and in death Maury wanted to spend time with people and he told Mitch when he would come to visit him at his grave bring a blanket Mm. a picnic and stay a while not to be one of those people hopping out of their car leaving the engine running I can totally see why after writing this book, it really transformed Mitch's life. I I just feel that way after reading it. But Mitch writes at the end of the book how Maury urged him before his death to get more involved in his community and charity, working with the poor and underprivileged. And it's important to note that there's an advance for um, book sales that was used to pay for Maury's medical bills, which I love that too. But Mitch did not let Maury down. Uh, Maury's prompting led him to running an orphanage in Haiti called Have Faith Haiti. Following the devastating earthquake of January 2010, the orphanage fell in really hard times. Mm -hmm. And Mitch took over the operation and still runs it today. The goal of the the, the mission is to provide a safe, nurturing environment for Haitian children who are in need. Children are taught in both French and English with a goal of achieving college or vocational degree, which is so awesome. Mitch visits the orphanage monthly. Um, the crazy thing is almost to the day, 20 years later from the first Tuesday with Maury, Mitch met a little girl, Chica, at the orphanage who was five, was diagnosed with a cancerous tumor, brain tumor, and there was no medical care in Haiti to treat this type of cancer. So he brought her to the U.S. This to, reminds me of um, Cindy McCain. Oh, McCain's yeah. McCain's bringing Bring home. Yeah. yeah where he and his wife took care of her. They tried every possible treatment, even experimental ones going as far as Germany. They loved this um, little girl as their own. They didn't have children of mm. their own. so And ma- they made a family, and they just savored every bit of time with her. He writes about their journey in his book, Finding Chica. It's beautifully describes how this adorable but yet very sick little girl blesses, blesses their lives with her sweetness and her spunk. They were given a four-month prognosis, but Chica bravely outlasted that, living 21 months. Wow. Uh, Mitch started the Chica Fund in memory of this amazing little girl to cover medical costs and health care, including inoculations, nutrition, regular doctor checkups, um, medical tests, and if needed, hospitalizations for other children. 
I just think it's a beautiful way to honor Chica's life. And honor Maury. Yeah. I mean, because he's living through these... Right, through these... Things that he's um, prompted Mitch to do. Right, right. He talks about the children is the, that keeps bringing him back to Haiti. And Mitch not only is helping orphans in Haiti, he's also making their dreams of college come true. He recently hosted an event at Madonna University in Livonia, Michigan, to raise funds for partial scholarships for Haitian kids who otherwise would not have a chance at higher education. The goal is also for them to eventually return to Haiti, you know, to mm-hmm. and to make it better. Which re- it reminds me of the ripple effect yeah. that you were just talking yeah. about with that young guy, guy. with yeah. the Make-A-Wish Foundation. The more I read about this man, the more I admire. Uh, during the pandemic, he created a serialized story of hope called Human Touch. It's a free online series set in a small town in Michigan. Each week, a new story about four different families who live on the same street corner during the pandemic. The neighborhood street corner is symbolic of how we're all kind of living apart, Mm -hmm. yet living together. He uses this platform to encourage readers to donate to his charity, Say Detroit's initiative, Detroit Beats COVID-19. This uh, charity has been helping the city of Detroit fight the virus in many ways, including food access, shelter testing, I, I just really love reading this, that so far feeding over 2,000 senior citizens weekly. Oh, wow. Funding PPE for frontline workers, supporting operations at a quarantine center for the homeless, Detroiters who have COVID, feeding and educating 100 children in need and operating a COVID-19 mobile testing center. I just, I love the journey of researching Mitch Album took me on. Initially, I was obsessed about finding <laughs> about that person that said uh, giving his living which I finally did when I read Tuesday with Maury. Mm-hmm. But I kept thinking, what if he, what if he didn't see Maury on Nightline all those years yeah. ago? What would his life be like? I mean, because he is, you know, on, to- on top of being a really, you know, famous author, he's also a sports writer, a big mm-hmm. sports writer. Mm-hmm. And but do you think he'd have the fame and, like, everybody knows who he is because of his Tuesdays with oh, Maury. right. Not because of so, the, yeah. yeah. Maybe maybe locally, but, you know, yes. yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of interesting, but... And because it's just had such an impact, I mean, on people that mm-hmm. love it, you know, worldwide, myself included. But I'm just grateful for reading this, for reading that this book and being reminded of some things in my life that I need to focus more on, like being present. Sometimes I'm looking at my phone and multi- multitasking with moms my, are always guilty. Yeah. Multitasking and I, need, I need to stop and listen and be in the moment. And we all do. I, I just love reading about his life and his books. It really opened my heart and I admire all his great work. Uh, and the charities, especially um, the orphans in Haiti and the people in Detroit. That's awesome. Devote yourself to loving others. Devote yourself to your community around you. And devote yourself to creating something that gives you purpose and meaning. Maury Schwartz. So Detroit, Michigan is well known for the manufacturing of automobiles. The music of Motown. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which I didn't really think about. But what doesn't usually come to mind is farming. Oh, I, not really. Yeah. So thanks to efforts of several grassroots organizations, community gardens and urban farms are popping up in some of the poorer neighborhoods of Detroit. These farms are making a big difference to the populations of the community. Oh, that's cool. I was telling you when we were running yeah. um, that 10 years ago, a young man and his wife decided to plant some flowers on their great, great aunt's property. She lived on Helen Street, and the high grass and the overgrown vegetation was a constant reminder of the vacancy around her, and it just made her feel unsafe. So 
the nephew and his wife, they plant flowers to make it look nice. Nine years later, the once abandoned lot has been transformed into a community garden. And even more than that, it's inspiring other cities around the country because of their success. Nurturing our seeds... That's the name of it. Oh, I like that. It's cute. Yeah. Now stretches over several lots and works to educate, empower, and unify the city of Detroit. Their website notes that they are food justice warriors, which I think that's cute. I like that. They're on a mission to solve Detroit's problem of healthy food access. They bring health, wellness, and most importantly, hope to families seed by seed. So the concept has spread not only across Detroit, but other areas of the country. They're trying to emulate the program, including... Wichita County, Michigan, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, and in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Lives are totally being transformed, and hope is being restored. And from this, it's all from that great-great-nephew oh, and his wife rolling yeah. up their sleeves and just trying to take care of, you know, making the ant feel safe. But first, a little background on Detroit. Detroit's one of America's largest cities and one of the country's busiest ports. For decades, it was the center of auto manufacturing in America, and today it still plays a major role in auto manufacturing. In the 1950s, Detroit had a population, uh, I know you're probably bored of this because I already told you this when we were running, but of around 2 million people. That's a lot of people. It was a big city, but as manufacturing jobs drew more minority workers into Detroit, particularly blacks, more and more white people left, so they called it white flight. They would head out to the suburbs where racial covenants prevented black people from living or purchasing property in the suburbs. I know. In the 1970s, this segregation led to several race riots and even a deeper divide between blacks and whites in Detroit. City policies made it difficult for blacks to purchase property, and even in 2016, whites were twice as likely as blacks to get a mortgage in Detroit. That wasn't that long ago. Yeah, that's... uh, that's As economic recessions hit, unemployment skyrocketed, people lost homes, and abandoned properties, vacant lots, they became more common in the poor and mostly black neighborhoods of Detroit. So today, the population of Detroit has dropped from that 2 million in the 50s to around 700,000. About 77% of that population is black. In 2020, Detroit had an unemployment rate of almost 25%. Oh, my gosh. Which is crazy high. Much of Detroit is a food desert. Food desert is an area where healthy food options are scarce. That doesn't mean there isn't food available, but the sources of food are usually fast food and convenience stores. Right. There's little in the way of healthy food, such as fruits, vegetables, or ingredients to even make healthier unprocessed foods. Detroit holds the dubious honor of the highest consumption of potato chips in the United States. I know. This way may very well stem from many neighborhoods relying on gas stations and dollar stores as their primary food source. If you don't have options of driving around town to get to the grocery store, right. that's what you... That's what you rely on. Exactly. Additionally, many of the poorer residents rely on food stamps, which are accepted at gas stations and convenience stores, but not at many of the chain grocery stores there. Food deserts lead to all kinds of other issues, including obesity, vitamin deficiencies, heart disease, and other health issues, and these yeah. disproportionately affect the poorest residents, obviously. Half the city of Detroit has been classified... As a food desert, which I think is just tragic. 
For years now, residents in many of the primarily black neighborhoods of Detroit have been trying to help their community by using many of the vacant lots in the neighborhood as community gardens, which I think is brilliant. Not only provides much needed fresh food for the residents, but it also beautifies and creates a sense of community in the neighborhood. Individuals and groups grow food crops and flowers and distribute the food through food pantries or farmer's markets in the community. With access to fresh food being vital for a healthy community, these urban farms are so important to the community. However, there's a lot of barriers for the black farmers. First and foremost is that the land these community farms are grown on do not belong to the farmers who maintain them. These lots, many of which have remained vacant for decades, belong to private owners, often large investment companies or the city of Detroit, which has purchased many vacant lots or obtained ownership through condemnation proceedings. A quarter of the property in Detroit is owned by the city. The city of Detroit has been accused of favoritism towards large investors, preferring to sell property to developers rather than residents. Additionally, there's a complicated process to purchasing these properties from the city. And many residents are struggling just to make a living, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. They're often working more than one job just trying to survive. So they lack the know-how and time to navigate the complicated purchase process. Finally, getting the funding to purchase property to grow food is expensive, and residents of the poor areas of Detroit can have a difficult time obtaining funding or qualifying for a loan to buy the property. Without owning the land, the farms that they grow on are subject to being developed, so the owners can trespass the the farmers off the property, and there is no generational community, meaning the property cannot be passed from parent to child, as is common with white-owned farms across the country. An organization is helping change that. You'll love this. The Detroit Black Farmer Land Fund was created on Juneteenth in 2020. So Juneteenth, for people that don't don't know, is being celebrated as the anniversary of the end of slavery in the United States. This fund was started by several leaders in the urban farm movement and food security movement in Detroit. Shakira Tyler, Tepfer Rushton, and Jerry Hebron, in its first year... The Detroit Black Farmer Land Fund raised $100,000 and was able to help 40 black farmers buy land. In addition to helping provide money to make land purchases, the fund also helped black farmers navigate the purchase process, such as identifying who owns the land and getting through the bureaucratic process of dealing with the city. I know. Wow. Cut through that tape. Exactly. (laughs) So one of the farmers that the fund helped is... Dasmonique Carr, who owns a half an acre on the east side of Detroit called Deeply Rooted. The Detroit Black Farmer Land Fund not only helped her financially in order to purchase the property, but helped her step by step through the purchase process. She grows a variety of vegetables and hopes to sell them in the first black owned grocery store in her neighborhood. How awesome is that? She wants to pass the farm down to her young son who helps her maintain the farm right now. So Willie Patman was able to purchase property through the fund and gives away produce to his neighbors and maintains part of the property as a community garden so that others can have a chance to grow their own crops. There's another farmer named Tracy Harris who uses her land purchase through the Black Farmer Fund to grow crops that she gives to the food pantry in her neighborhood. Oh, I love so, that. So, so much awesome. good there. Yeah. While the city of Detroit touts itself as haven for community gardens and urban farms, residents will tell you that the city does very little to help the black farmers. They rely on grassroots community to get the job done. 
which I think is great that they're actually yeah. doing right. that. Right. Fortunately, more and more of these types of organizations support urban farming. They're popping up in many cities. Not only do these groups help combat food deserts in impoverished communities, they help black people get ownership of land that they're able to pass to future generations, oh. creating much-needed stability right. in those communities. Right. One other good thing that happened this year, Congress promised $4 billion to farmers of color for debt relief grants and education. Oh, so a lot great. of good here. Yeah, Aaron Cole, another urban farmer who's helped with the Detroit Black Farmer Land Fund, said, we're feeding communities and we're building relationships to bring healthy food systems across Michigan. Owning the land is key. It allows people to keep those generational practices going. It's something that after 10 years, the community is able to say, we're not going anywhere. That is so awesome. It is. The fun part, asking each each other other. questions. This is Christmas themed. So what would you pick? Christmas in LA or Christmas in New York? Definitely New York. Yeah. I think because of... The cold. Mm-hmm. Christmas seems like it should be cold to me. So, yeah. New York City. Okay. Tree, f- real or fake? <laughs> Embarrassed to say this, but fake. Yeah. Um, I I like the smell of a real tree. I yeah. wish, but it's so, yeah. Yeah. A fake tree is just so much more well, convenient. Well, I was shocked. Speaking of real, my sister sent me a picture of a tree in Texas and a Grocery law for six fifty. Oh my gosh! You can buy a really nice fake tree for that. Yes, price. I don't know. The if last I don't know if, if it's like a shortage this year down there or what, but it's kind of weird. Yeah. Gift bag or wrapping paper? Um, I honestly prefer wrapping paper. I just like to make everything crisp and yeah. the bows and stuff. Um, funny story with. <laughs> With bags, my dad, one year for Christmas, he brought out, you know, this gift bag, handed it to someone, they opened up their present, then he'd grab that gift bag, he'd run back into the bedroom, he'd grab something else, and he'd come back, same (gasps) gift bag he used for everyone. Not because he, you know, wants to be sustainable, but (laughs) I love that. He didn't want to wrap the presents, so it was just kind of clever. Are you an ugly sweater or a Christmas cocktail party type? Definitely not the ugly sweater. Yeah. I think that's uh, I'm just yeah. not into that. So um, I I like you know the little black dress yeah. and dressing up. Dressing up, yeah. Fun. So definitely the cocktail Secret party. Santa or white elephant? Same thing. I'm yeah. not into the white elephant yeah. at all. I don't get it. Yeah. So definitely Secret Santa. I think mainly because I don't want more junk out there that right. just wasted stuff. So yeah. definitely Secret Santa. Fun. Faith is about doing. You are how you act, not just how you believe. Mitch Album. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.